Howdy folks! Today we are continuing the series on the creatures that trout eat and how to translate that knowledge into successful fly tying and fly fishing. The subject of today's show is the caddis. I honestly didn't expect this one to be as interesting as the mayfly, but I was happily surprised by what I learned. My guest is Kyle Bratcher, a regional fish biologist and owner of Sickfoot Flies, a custom fly tying business. Now, let's get to it. So you spent some time down in Hell's Canyon this weekend and did some bass fishing, a little trout fishing, all fly stuff? Yeah. Just a quick little trip in. And you were throwing clousers. A bunny clouser. A bunny clouser? Uh-huh. What makes it a bunny clouser? A bunny strip. Okay. So typically you tie a clouser with a dumbbell eye and then it's just a bucktail. And yeah, so it'd be two white, different colors. white bucktail on yeah. one side and then another color on the top side. Um, and then sometimes you throw a little flash in there, but this is just, so instead of white bucktail, it's a white bunny strip. Huh. And then I used bucktail for the other part and they liked it. Were there any bugs hatching? A few caddis. A few caddis. Let's talk about caddis. Yeah. This is the caddis episode. The caddis episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. So welcome back. I'm here with Kyle Bratcher, owner of Six Foot Flies and regional fish biologist. And we're going to continue our series on the the things that trout eat that are important to trout. Last time we talked about mayflies. This time we're going to talk about caddis. So let's uh, stick to a similar format and start with the egg. The egg. So uh, honestly, it's not a whole lot different than a mayfly. Caddis aren't a whole lot different than the mayfly as far as how they lay their eggs. They're either going to lay them on the surface. And you'll see that with October caddis, especially coming down in the fall, laying it in riffles. So yep. you'll see them dabble down and then bump down a little ways and dabble down again. And so those eggs, same thing, sink to the bottom. They're not laying as many eggs as the mayflies. They're You're talking more like 800 tops instead of 3,000. Okay. And so uh, they'll either lay them right on the surface. Uh, they'll look for emergent vegetation. They might lay it right on that, which emergent vegetation is uh, plant matter that just barely sticks up okay. um, or is maybe a little even subsurface. Um, or again, and this is probably a little more common with caddisflies than it is with mayflies. They'll actually dive down, um, right. And lay eggs on the surface of rocks and other stuff. And their eggs have some adhesion. So they'll stick to rocks and stuff. And so that is truly incredible that as a, as a winged insect that they're able to dive and swim. Yeah. With a stupid big old wing, how do you get down in the water when there's current and not just get your ass kicked? Yeah. And there's definitely air that gets trapped in their wing. When they do that, they look shiny. I've, I've seen them. Yeah. Um, it seems like an easy target for a trout. Yeah. And there is some, some trout patterns out there that people use to, to mimic that. And I mean, the wet fly is kind of a big part of that too. I wonder if their eggs can survive digestion from a trout. I have no answer to that. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. I... I kind of doubt it. You think of something like that, it's pretty fragile. Yeah. You know, being that small, uh, I kind of doubt that would be the case. Although they do have that same thing that we talked about um, with mayflies is they have that 
that pause they can put in that egg sometimes. So if conditions aren't quite right, they can actually delay the development of that egg if everything's not perfect and, and wait for it to develop. And you see that in like fairy shrimp and other stuff. And so maybe there's something to that. that What's a fairy shrimp? <laughs> a fairy shrimp is a... Is that on Harry Potter? Uh, I don't know if I can talk about fairy shrimp. Um, fairy shrimp are just a little crustacean that they're more like a, a mysis is what they kind of look like. Okay. They're kind of a weird creature that they exist in a lot of places where water doesn't exist year round. Hmm. So where water all collect. So there's a fairy shrimp in Southwest Oregon, uh, called the vernal pool fairy shrimp, which is a perfectly descriptive name. They, they live out on the desert floor, sagebrush and stuff. And there's these big, you know, spots that are, uh, depressions and water will collect there and they'll hatch out live for a few days few weeks and then do their thing and then they'll lay their eggs and then the pool will dry up and those eggs can last for years in the sediment until there's more water and conditions are right again and then they'll hatch out and it can be years and I actually found some fairy shrimp up in Dollar Lake a couple of years ago. Amazing. And collected them and called a guy at Kansas, Kansas, University of Kansas. One of those, it's Kansas. It's all flat. Nobody cares. Um. <laughs> Getting poorly spelled hate mail here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, they're kind of a weird little creature. Pretty much don't exist with fish. Fish yeah. wipe them out. So. Gotcha. Okay. So... We're an egg. We got stuck to a rock or to some vegetation, and somehow this thing that formerly crawled around and now flew around managed to swim down to the bottom sure. to lay those eggs. Amazing. But here, here we kind of separate from the mayfly because caddis have larvae, not nymphs. Yes. So what's the difference between a larva and a nymph? Well, the weird thing is, is it turns out that caddis are really closely related to butterflies and moths. Really? So, yeah, they branched off uh, pretty close to each other. They're pretty much the two closest orders to each other. Hmm. Or the next closest order to caddis is the butterflies. Wow. Um, which is interesting because the life cycle is actually fairly parallel. Um, they have a larva, which if you think about it, is almost um, akin to caterpillar. There's, a, I mean, obviously there, there's a few differences because caddises live under freaking water. Yeah. But there's a larval stage. And so those larva, they're going to come out and they're, they're going to, there's a few different ways they can go about living. They'll either burrow and create these little cavities in the ground. But most of us as anglers are familiar with the caddis that are case builders. Right. And a lot of them are going to do that. But they, they spin a silk, uh, which is interesting, like a lot of other um, butterflies and moths. Um, they spin a silk, and that's what they're building those um, cases out of. And it's the silk is a saliva, right? Yeah, and it's a gland next to their mouth. And they spin the silk. And they'll typically pick up twigs and rocks and whatever. And you can actually determine the genus based on the type of case they build. They're that specific. The case they build is actually dependent on the genus they're from. So you'll get into a river and you'll see a caddis that has built a case out of rocks versus one that's done those little square tubes out of 
grass and pine needles and that type of thing. And you can actually identify them just based on their case. Wow. So, which is interesting. They're they're pretty much the same thing as a mayfly. They eat, I mean, as far as food, their larvae are eating the same thing. They'll either eat detritus, which is dead mm-hmm. Um, They'll eat paraphyton. Paraphyton? Yeah. What? I don't know that word. So Nerd. Par- yeah. What's paraphyton? So, <laughs> so typically you're going to see, so mayflies are doing the same thing. Caddis mayflies, there's few different things you find on the bottom of a river uh detritus which is typically dead things it's dead and rotting dead and decaying organic material skin that's been sloughed off a fish that kind of thing uh wood uh paraphyton is living so it's algae it's diatoms it's oh really yeah cyanobacteria dynamo that kind of thing so some of them will key on on certain things some of them are predatory so there's some of them will actually build a web out of their silk and catch drifting particles and then eat the drifting particles like a spider kind of like almost exactly like a spider yeah and so but they're catching stuff that's just drifting down the river i had no idea they did that yeah and so there's a few species that'll do that so it just depends on where you are don't ask me to get detailed on the species. Are, are there as many species of caddis as there are of mayflies? There's there's more. There's more species so there's of caddis. there's more species of caddis than there are mayflies. So when we talked about mayflies, we talked about between three and 4,000 described species of mayflies with a few to go. Uh, caddis flies, there's about 14,000 species. Wow. And so there's quite a few more. They're not as old as mayflies. 14,000? Yeah. So when we're talking about classifying insects, the taxonomy of it, I know that taxonomists are grouped into lumpers and splitters, right? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the splitters got a hold of caddis. Well, and you got to figure out that also there's not that many people out there studying these. And so the, there's a little more latitude. You know, Typically scientists get into arguments about this stuff and then it whittles it down to what's pretty well accepted across the range. There's probably fewer people studying caddisflies specifically, you know, and may, well, mayflies have been studied for quite a while. They, um, but the caddisflies, there's probably just a few people out there. Like we could probably, there's probably 10 experts out there. Right. And so it gives them a little more leeway. The one thing is though, with aquatic animals and insects, macroinverts is that they're not real good at dispersing across basins Right. And so it's really easy for them to differentiate if they're in the Wallawa River versus in the Willamette River. Yeah. And the perfect example of that is we have, there's a famous caddis in the Mackenzie River, a tributary of the Willamette, that is the Mackenzie Green Caddis. And it's a big caddis that hatches about this time of year, April. You know, you tie them on like size 10s and they're green. Hmm. And we don't have those here. No. You know, and so. You know, depending on conditions, those they can differentiate by quite a bit, and it just depends on where they are. And they pretty much exist. Caddises are all over the world, again, um, everywhere but Antarctica. Antarctica doesn't have any of these bugs. No. Crazy. So one thing about... Well, you, you don't have the freshwater um, right. ecosystems in Antarctica for them to exist. Yeah. When I was on my way down here... Ran through some caddis flies and had those little green balls on the windshield. And 
if anybody's ever experienced that, it'll look like just, just these little tiny green booger looking things on your windshield. Do not hit your windshield wipers. That will turn into <laughs> the cement that you have to take off with a razor blade or something. It's incredible. Yeah. But what that is, is the egg sac on a female caddis. Um, so at this time of year, we're starting to get into the Mother's Day caddis, which is a really terrific hatch and, and fishing opportunity for early season. So that's one of the 14,000. Yeah, that, that would be the American granum. The American um, granum. That is, is the, the one species that I know by actual species, you know, common species name. Otherwise, it's angler names. Right. But that would be the American granum. Uh, and we, around here on the Wallow River, we have a phenomenal hatch of those. And it's the, my experience with caddis hatches are very hit or miss on how good the fishing actually is. It seems like I hit a lot of caddis hatches that I think, oh, this is amazing. They're all over and the fishing is garbage because the fish are satiated and it's just too hard to make your stand out. Yeah. So, well, we'll get into fishing here a little bit later, but I want to wrap up um, or continue with the life cycle. So this larval phase do they still have an exoskeleton? Are they are they molting in order to get bigger? So their their front end is has has an exo exoskeleton and it's hard. And then as you move back into the segment, so if you've ever grabbed a caddis and pulled it out of its case, which most of us have, um, is anglers. That front end is black typically with legs and a head. And then as you move back, their bodies get soft, and they typically have oh ten segments. And the first segment actually has a couple um, little appendages that help them hold on to their um, their case. Mm-hmm. The second segment has little hooks that help them hold on even better. Wow. And so, you know, when you pull them out of there, they're, I mean, they need yeah. to be in there. That's their protection. Yeah, they don't want to come out. Yeah, and so their bodies are softer. But, yeah, they go through a few different stages and kind of molt um, and grow. And as they grow, they add on to their case um, for the case caddis. And they'll actually add on to that and they can actually move around inside their case so they can turn around and go back to the back end and trim it off if it's too long and they can keep growing. Yeah. And that case will actually be open on both ends in the larval stage. Okay. And you know, a lot of us will grab those cases and look at them and they're, they're not open on the back end. And we're like, well, so well, what's true, right? Well, what's happening is those larvae, as they grow in that, they'll go through about a year for a caddis. We're not talking long lifespans. They'll go through about a year, and they'll grow, and they'll build that case bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually, they'll attach it to a rock with their silk, and they'll seal it off on both ends. And that's when they go through metamorphosis. And so when we go back to the butterflies, it's the same thing as the caterpillar locking itself in a case and hanging from a tree, and then going through their metamorphosis. And so, caddis are going through the metamorphosis into the pupa stage, and then they'll emerge from that case. So the the pupal stage, it looks like they kind of have the beginnings of wings. Um, yeah. Their legs are a little bit longer. They can mm-hmm. swim. They're, yeah, or crawl. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's the stage that they kind of, they're not eating anymore, though. So as larvae, they eat all the paraphyton and the detritus and... Um, maybe even predatory, move into their cocoon is essentially what right. it is. They lock off their case and that becomes their cocoon and they're just protected. And we all know we can roll over rocks and see those cases sitting on rocks. 
And so, and then they'll emerge from that and they'll either crawl to, to the banks or they'll swim straight to the surface um, once they emerge from that. And then they hatch out and they'll use their shucks as a floating raft to get out and fly. And so one, one of the things that blew my mind with caddis, I was on the Yakima River and it was one of these blizzard caddis hatches. And, and I couldn't, I was struggling to solve the puzzle of how to catch fish in this caddis hatch. And I'm fishing dry flies because I'm like, there's fish everywhere. There's dry flies, you know, there's adults everywhere. And I started standing in the river and I'm looking down and around me, I can see these caddis floating to the surface and hatching out and flying away on the top. And it was seconds on the surface before they were gone. And it was super interesting. So Amazing. Well, as adults, once they've emerged to the surface in that pupil phase and they've broken out of that exoskeleton and grown grown wings, caddis are pretty easy to identify because their wings sort of form up like an old school tent. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got four wings, right? Two sets. Yeah. Yeah. Two sets of wings, two antennas. Yeah. Um, they've still got 10 body segments. Um, they do not have tails. Mm-mm. Right. So that's how you can kind of identify them. And then the way they fly is pretty erratic. Um, it's described as yeah. flying like a drunken helicopter. And everything pilot. I read on Caddis says they're awful flyers. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're bad at it. And this, so that's why they don't disperse very well. Yeah. So part of part of that erratic nature in their behavior makes a Caddis hatch a really good hatch for people to fish who aren't really experienced at, at finesse and dry fly fishing because... Um, you can throw a really weird cast out there and chances are that's going to emulate the really weird flying patterns of these caddis and they're bombing down into the water trying to break the surface tension so that they can swim in and and there can be a lot of caddis hatching all at once you're talking about these blizzards i've been in hatches where it was hard to breathe because there's just so many bugs around you but they don't bite you so like there's one thing to be overwhelmed by bugs that are biting you and another thing that it's like you guys are just harmless mm-hmm. which is nice so well and you know it, the other thing is you might be on a river and have all these caddis around and think you're in a hatch and the thing about caddis is they can live to a week or two after they hatch and so you're not you might not be in a hatch at that time uh, they, it might just be that they've been hanging out breeding, doing their thing, and then they're super active at that time. And I've seen that a few times where there's no bugs coming off. And honestly, I think that's the better time to fish dry flies is because they're not, the fish aren't under the surface eating pupa as they come up. Yep. But, and they don't molt as adults. Mayflies are the only insect that have two different phases of, of adulthood like that, where they'll go from that sub-imajo to that imajo phase down to spinner. Yeah. So then what happens? They they breed, lay their eggs in the water, and that's where we started the story. Yeah, we're kind of back to those some of those females dive, which is incredible, but kind of back to the beginning. Yeah. So one of the things about them is they're you know, they're another good indicator of stream health if they're yeah. around. They're a little better at living in water with less oxygen than mayflies and stoneflies are. And so if you're looking for decent water quality and river health uh you'll have all three of those types of types of bugs in there and they say typically with the caddis if you're looking at those for an indicator it should be multiple caddis species and not just one yeah and so 
the diversity is real important there. Well, around here, they're a tremendous food source. We have so many caddis and, and they start hatching this time of year and we have them hatching all the way through November sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, they're really, really important food for trout and because we have all these different occurrences of of hatches, it makes a good fishing opportunity. So let's talk through some some caddis flies that you like, some caddis patterns. So starting with uh, with caddis larvae. Oh, caddis larvae. So as we talked during the mayfly episode, I'm I don't get I don't get too picky about things. Uh, I got a couple that I like. There's one right now that I'm tying that's. It's a real simple fly. It's a, it's a round pearl braid, and it's so it's kind of an extended body on a small curved hook. It's green, and then it's got a black matte finish head, bead, and then it's got some squirrel dubbing behind it and maybe a little peacock dubbing in it too, but that's it. And it's just this little, it's pretty larval. Um, the other one I like, uh, it's a Tom Rosenbauer pattern, or I heard about it from him. And he just takes different size of wire, different colors of wire, and he'll just wrap a hook with different colors and size of wire to emulate some of those uh, cases okay. that they're using the grass. And so I like that one too, and that one works pretty well. Typically a black head with a little bit of, of hackle of whatever color you want, but that's a great one too. Um, yeah, those those are two of the ones that I really like. Uh, that pearl braid one, I like to tie it in green typically, but I like the orange too. Yeah some different colors so what about the pupil face well i have i have a fly that i fish um if you say something besides the prince nymph i'm i'm gonna have words with you <laughs> we're, gonna have, we're gonna have words um so i have a fly that i've been tying for oh since i started tying flies which is about 12 years ago that i like to say i came up with it um <laughs> But there's one out there that's real similar, and it's called a guide's choice. Yeah. And I call mine the KB special, but they're real similar. And all it is is it's kind of a dumbed-down hare's ear. Yep. It's a tail, hare's ear body, soft tackle, and a bead, and maybe a hot spot. Um, I typically fish it with an orange hot spot. I also fish it in olive. And I fish that fly year-round almost no matter what. That's my go-to tie-on. And... It catches fish all year. I've caught steelhead on it. I've caught bull trout, white fit. I mean, everything eats that fly. And so I think it looks probably most like a caddisfly pupa, but I think it probably represents a few other things too. I have a bunch of those that you tied for yeah. me, and they're a fantastic fly. Yeah. Um, and I'll troll them in the lake as well Yeah, and do really well. So, yeah, whenever you have good ingredients like that, it's almost like a like a pie. Like if you have nothing but good ingredients in a pie, the pie is probably going to turn out. Okay. Um, and that's definitely mm -hmm. the case with that fly. Okay. So what about dry flies? Well, so, okay. So here's a little tidbit that's interesting. So caddis are in the order trichoptera and it's Greek, meaning the direct translation would be hair wing. And it's called that they're called that because their wings are kind of fuzzy, you know, like, butterflies and stuff but i think it's interesting because probably the most famous caddis fly pattern dry fly is an elk hair caddis right and i just don't see any way you can really beat that uh i i tie some versions of it and 
a few things that are a little different, but almost everything with that hair wing like that, um, with the deer hair or the elk hair caddis is my go-to. I, I do tie a couple others that with like uh Zelon wings that float a little lower in mm-hmm. the water um, and then tie some hackle up front. But those are probably the top two in my book. Yeah. So it's interesting when we're talking about mayflies, you can't talk about mayfly nymphs without talking about the pheasant tail. And you t- can't uh-huh. talk about caddis without talking about the Alcare caddis. And they were both invented by the same guy. His name was Al Troth, and he lived in Dillon, Montana. And he was a really interesting character, very, very precise in what his expectations were of himself, but also of his clients. And he was still around when I showed up on the scene there, and you could hear him yelling at clients from a quarter river mile away. If they messed up a cast, they were going to hear about it. Um, And he was pretty abusive as a guide like that. But it's also interesting that the number one selling dry fly and the number one selling nymph are both his patterns. So he had a level of genius that is unsurpassed in, in the realm of fly tying. And they're both both flies that uh, drew most of, of their ingredients from a single animal. So the pheasant tail is primarily from pheasant tail fibers, and the elk hair caddis is primarily from elk hair. The thing that I really love about an elk hair caddis is the way the, the wire holds down the hackle. It makes that fly so resilient. You can catch a lot of fish on it mm-hmm. before that fly falls apart. It's just a tough tough fly yep. last summer i had uh up in the mountains here i had a elk hair caddis that i had tied in like a size 14 and i caught 10 brook trout on it and then which have teeth like a velociraptor yeah and then i had to hike out so i cut it off stuck it in my hat came home and i was sitting at my desk and i'd set my hat down and i looked at that thing and i was like gosh and i pulled that out and started looking at it and i was like this thing looks like it was i could sell this still yeah i'm like it still looks like it was just tied and yeah. i caught 10 brook trout on it and i was like yeah just awesome fly so floats well easy to cast so since since we're talking about this, there's this there's this extra level of caddis in our area, which is the October caddis, and they're hatching at the same time that our steelhead are showing up, and because of that, it creates this opportunity for fishing dry flies for steelhead, and you can fish dry flies for steelhead in places where there are no bugs hatching at all, mm-hmm. but when you have these big orange caddis flies fluttering around on the surface of the water, it really does help. And the Grand Ronde is a fantastic fishery, all things considered, for dry fly fishing for steelhead. And then we're talking about skating flies. So when we get into skating, what's your go-to there? That's a good question. A lot of guys like a muddler minnow. Well, I so I tie a fly that's real similar to a muddler minnow. It's just a little sparser. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, I tie it with orange and a big deer head on it, a deer hair, spun deer hair head on it. And that's what I would go to. It's it's not complicated. It's pretty simple. And it's really just, it's basically just a muddler minnow, though. It's yeah. not, not anything special. I don't I don't know that you really need anything super special for that. I kind of like it when they, when they submerge a little and then come back to the surface and kind of get it in and out a little bit. I think that action helps. But... Something with that big, heavy deer hair head on it um, that keeps it afloat. Maybe it'll pull it under depending on the current. You know, turkey hair wing. 
but orange, you know, and you tie them on a, on a steelhead hook. So they're a little different than the typical muddler that you think of for, sure. for trout, but yeah. That is such an exciting way to fish if a fish will ever play, play ball with you. Yeah. And I, you know, I've had a few times that I've seen, I've pulled into a run in my drift boat and look downstream and I saw a fish come up and hit the surface. And sometimes you see them just kind of porpoise. And I don't think those fish are really feeding, but like these fish, they came up and then you saw caudal fin sweep upstream. And it's like, so they're, they're coming up and they're hitting something and turning yep. and you're like, oh. and so immediately you go to a skater of some kind and hop in that run and, you know, give it a few shots. And, you know, a lot of times you'll come up with fish. So, Yeah. It's a, uh, it's an exciting time of year and you're going to pick up trout and you're, everything gets really stimulated by the way that caddis goes across the surface. Yeah. What are we missing? Let's talk about those blizzard caddis hatches. Okay. So if you're in a straight up caddis blitz and there are bugs everywhere, crawling all over you, back of your neck, on your hands, they're crawling on your rod. What do you do? How do you, how do you even approach that situation? So for me, I've had some times where it's just impossible. I've tried everything. Can't get anything to happen. I think when it's, when it's like that, the best thing to do is go subsurface mm-hmm. and fish things like sparkle pupas, you know, and even swing them to the surface. Like we talked about in the Mayfly episode, you know, do, you, do your nymph drift out and then let them swing up and get down in those fish's face give them something they can see because i think those fish have typically if there's that many bugs on the water they've already eaten a lot of them so they're either not hungry anymore um and they need it down their face because they're probably not going to move to the surface to eat and so that's how i've approached that situation um it's been pretty rare that it's been good dry fly fishing in those situations so or I just go completely away from the caddis and fish something like a stonefly and something that's big or a woolly bugger under an indicator and hope it's um, just something that's in their face enough that they'll eat. Yeah. I've also had success um, adding split shot to two dry flies and getting that presentation of an elk hair caddis descending True. and picked fish up doing that. But you have to do something outside of the dead drift of what, a million other caddis are and, doing. And what a lot of people don't do anymore is swing soft tackles. Yep. And I think there's an opportunity there because it's going to look different than anything else that's in the water. And it, it's going to have that profile of a um, an adult caddis laying an egg. And so I think that's another opportunity is get that a soft tackle down, down to them and swing it across and get them a little more excited. Yep. Good opportunity for, uh, for a lighter rod and a, a longer light rod so like an eight and a half or nine foot three weight that's a great rod for swinging these soft tackles and and don't neglect your up, upstream presentations um, a hand twist retrieve and tying on two or three soft tackles um, with an anchor fly on the bottom a bigger one will really generate some responses from these trout that that you might not otherwise get but you can't just be another one in the herd and hope that you're uh your lottery number comes up because it it's just not the way the game is played. Yeah, it's a different thing when you've got a fish that's uh when you've got a lot of bugs on the water and you've got fish that are in that rhythmic rise yep. and you're just waiting for it to be timed right because you know where they are. This is fishing under the surface just trying to be different. It's yep. it's really hard to do and there's that many bugs out, so 
Okay, Kyle. So if somebody wants to order a Caddis kit, a kit that has uh, has four different patterns in it, that wherever they're going to go, one of these is probably going to work during a Caddis hatch. What are what are the flies? What are the sizes? Uh, best thing to do is let me know what time of year it's going to be. Okay. Because uh, that that could dictate what the what that fly is going to look like. But I do offer a Mother's Day Caddis starter kit on my website. That's got I don't remember if it's a dozen flies or a few more. Um, that you can just buy that. Great well, gift for mom. Yeah, great gift for mom or take your mom fishing. Or I can tie whatever you'd like, so custom flies. I have a, I have a number of caddis patterns on the website that aren't in that um, kit, so I'm not a real stickler on that kit, so there's a lot of caddis patterns on the website that if you want them to go in that kit instead of what I have offered, I'm willing to do that too. So oh, any nice. caddis fly out there that you want in, a, in any kind of pattern, I can do it. So any kind of hook. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, and I'm looking forward to our next installment in the series, which is going to be the Stonefly. But that's a wrap for Caddis. If you guys have any questions, feel free to look up Sickfoot Flies on either the interwebs or the Instagram, and Kyle can hook you up with all of his knowledge. Till next time. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the show. I would also like to thank Kyle for sharing his knowledge. This episode was edited by Emily Brannigan, with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Artwork for the Six Ranch podcast was created by John Chatterlin of Yellow Rose Tattoo in Salt Lake City, and digitized by Celia Christofferson. If you enjoyed the show, I encourage you to share it with a friend and subscribe. You can find photos and more content on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast. We'll be back with the next portion of our insect series next Friday. Have a great weekend, and don't forget to go catch a fish. <laughs>